Dude. He did that classic dad thing and wore a grey shirt and spilt water on myself. You won't be able to unsee it, but it's right there. That's my water dribble. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. We continue on our series in Hebrews. Uh, I, I want to kind of map out the next month. We've got a few guest speakers coming in through November um, to share on a whole bunch of different things. We've got a, a last name, Jess, who's coming from Online Bible College. So she's part of our network. Uh, she's going to share on Hebrews 7. I know Michael Adams is doing one. Anthony, you're doing one. And um, Chris... Haddon, who's married to Sam from Northside, is going to pop in and share a message as well at some stage in the mix. Um, I do that um, partially because I speak to a bunch of pastors about kind of longevity and ministry, and one of the things they recommend is, you know, take four weeks off from the pulpit just to recover and enjoy being in your church on a Sunday. Not, not that I don't, but it, it does take a little bit to get your head around some of this stuff. And I'll tell you right now, that in this passage, you're going to say to me, Dunk, you didn't talk about that stuff about them falling away and then what that sin. Yeah, I didn't get my head around it and I didn't feel like I wanted to share it from the front, a half-baked idea on that part. Um, so what I'm going to double down on today is this idea of um, what is foundational and what is maturity. Um, I think... As we look at this passage, uh, one of the things that is historically, that's my notes. Um, it's all right, I can preach from memory. I can't. Um, yeah, take them away. <laughs> Gear up for a 45 minute rambling message. <laughs> um, we. <laughs> uh, Pastor did that to me one time, just took my message and said, go for it. You should have learned it by now. I was like, oh, well, you're going to learn your lesson. Um, <laughs> don't take a rambler's notes. Uh, team, we, we historically when we do church, this is not our church, but I'm using the universal church, used to take a long time to onboard people into membership so you you in hebrews you've got a writer who's in addressing a predominantly he uh sorry uh jewish community and they would be very well aware that if i wanted to become a member of a church that might be a couple of year process so so we we would do something like a newcomers lunch and be like hey you want to be a member of our church great you're a member of our church welcome didn't work like that uh, Jew, uh jewish people would be very well aware that if they were in a church that they would be welcomed into fellowship that's not an issue but that idea of membership is a long train it's a long journey and as part of that was to learn some of the foundational truths of what they believe and so it is not unexpected that our writer would address them and say there are some foundational things that are just keeping you milky. You're still infants because of it. 
you haven't moved on to the more mature things. And so we work through this list. Starts with repentance. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that seems appropriate. Is that at some stage on your journey to come to faith, you would repent of your sins and accept Jesus as your Lord and King. Not a problem. Faith in God. Great one. Yeah, okay. Cool, 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 cool. Not a problem. Yep, that seems a foundational, basic, milky doctrine that we should get our head around, that you should believe in Jesus if you want to be a follower of Christ. Not a problem. Baptism. Okay, well, things are getting a little bit hairy now. There's different opinions on baptism. I'm not sure where we want to land on it, but yeah, okay, yeah, you know. Baptism, sure, not a problem. Laying on of hands. Okay, well, now we're escalating. Apparently, this is a foundational idea. Laying on of hands and commissioning people into ministry seems like something really significant. And then, boom, resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. Things don't feel milky towards the end of that list, do they? I mean, like, <laughs> you're like, that's a pretty intense new newcomer's dinner that you were at. If they were the, the infant, basic, theological perspectives that were laid on a community as a way of framing up a deeper relationship and membership. Uh, we, we had this experience um, in the States, and I, I kind of, I pray that I have it again sometime. And I, like, I don't know if it was just a move of God. I think that that was part of it. Like, you know, when people are praying for revival, part of that is just the, the soil is ready to burst forth with crop. And our understanding of what that soil ready to burst through with crop is not the same as what we want it to be. Like, so where I was in Maricopa, sorry, if you've been a part of this church, you've heard this story 7,000 times. Go make yourself a coffee. Um, uh, home prices had dropped 90%, 90%. So homes went from eight dollars $900,000 down to... Sixty or seventy thousand dollars, and community members there had lost everything, and uh, like I mean everything—the job, um, uh, super annual wage, like just everything has been ruined. Like global financial crisis hit, property crisis hit. It was just wiped out, and so it wouldn't be unusual for you to walk into a coffee shop like Mel's and just single folks at tables just crying by themselves over a latte. And so you would walk up to them and strike up a conversation like you do with Mel at the coffee shop. Hey, how you doing? What are you crying about? Can I pray for you? Yeah, I've basically lost everything. I lost the jet skis. The wife is looking like she's going to divorce me. The house price is now like non-existent. There's no way we can make mortgage repayments. I've got nothing. I am worthless I'm thinking about just giving up on it. It's really easy to share good news of Jesus. Beautiful thing about Jesus is Jesus loves you right now as you are the same amount for all of eternity. 
He cares for you. He has purposes for you. He has anointed your steps. And none of that is predicated on any of the possessions that you're talking about, nor your job. Your identity is something deeper. It's found as a child of the Lord Most High. (sighs) Evangelism is simple when it's like that. So you would have a coffee and lead someone to Christ. They come to church on Sunday and we would do these just baptisms like wild and the church expanded and we we had so many new believers and so few mature believers is that i i started to run a year-long bible study and i mean it was like these are the books of the bible genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy and we would go through all of them and this is how the Bible's broken up. And then at one section, it ends and you become the New Testament. And that starts at Matthew and that goes all the way through to Revelation. Ha, ha, ha. Not Revelations. There's no S in it. But it was like rudimentary. And then we would walk through uh, a doctrine of salvation over the course of an entire year. So people would come to church, go to the second service. The second service was me in a back room teaching them about just foundational truths about Jesus. Huge onboarding. 52-week course just to get you up to speed with what the children's ministry guys are doing so you can come in here and join the service. But we just had, we, we had no other way. We, 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 we would turn to people and be like, can you lead a small group? And they'll be like, I've been a Christian for three weeks. Cool. It's better than the two-week crew over here. Keep the lead up. And you would just champion them in that. Somewhere along the way, we lost a little bit of that because what happens in that room is we develop relationships over a year. Like, it's not just a me speaking at you it's a dialogue questions would come up we'd flesh out questions well what about this well what about that where do babies go if they die when like all those questions are big deep questions related to the justice of jesus and so you would have these 52 week small group study where at the end of it you've got a community that you would bring into your church that had these depth of relationship that cared for one another that were having meals together on top of this and this is probably more in line with like a traditional jewish synagogue where there was just a really 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 long onboarding process we we don't do that here we we have an open membership one of our things is we're you spend enough time here, Ryan Sume, you're coming up on it. We just say you're members. Too late. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Say Aka's about three weeks away from becoming a member, right? She doesn't know it yet, but we just go, hey, you're a member now. <laughs> it's a surprise. Uh, Joy keeps visual- visiting from Perth. We'll do the same, boss. You're in here six or seven times. We start calling you a member just happens but something's something something gets lost in that a little bit is that there's there's an exercise in that um infancy of 
pouring through scripture, which is good for formational practices. What does it what does it look like to have faith in God? Like what are the outworkings of repentance? We we see regularly in scripture this idea of commissioning. What does it mean to lay hands on an individual to pray that pray for them to send them out? That three weeks ago we prayed over Keeler and Brody who were being called to a new season of life. And the view is is to commission them into that. Our goal isn't to hold on to everyone and keep them in the building. That's a cult. We're one step removed serving cordial and wearing white robes. If our goal is just to keep everyone in the building, it's hard when someone says, hey, I'm th- I'm, I feel like I'm called on to this next thing to say farewell. But part of laying on our hands and commissioning is sending people out. Part of that is laying on, praying for them as they step into a new role. Praying for them, commissioning them into a form of leadership. Fleshing out the riches of what that is, is really significant. Sometimes there's moments like in this scripture where you come across passages where you go who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming of age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and submit, submitting Him to public disgrace is a challenging verse. And I have not arrived there yet. Because there's some weight and some depth behind it. It's good for us as a community to go, what does that mean? I don't know. Let's figure it out. And so there's this underpinning of Scripture of these foundational doctrinal truths that come out in this kind of foundational Bible study. But it's not the measure of maturity. The measure of maturity seems to be some form of faithfulness. We get this, but the land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. For even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you have shown him as you have helped his people to continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. In order to make your hope sure, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, and patience here is this uh, understanding of like a long-standing perseverance, a suffering endurance, that through faith and long standing suffering endurance will inherit what has been promised 
And then I'm going to jump to the very end of this passage. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. That faithfulness and endurance becomes the hallmark of maturity. We get that wrong. Foundational underpinning is Bible study. You know scripture. Good. You're on milk. Faithfulness is the outworking of that foundational understanding as it applies to -to day-to-day life. Because a person who is faithful and patient, long-standing endurance, is able to take that knowledge and apply it to the real-world scenario and say, in light of what I know, this is how I should live. Over and over and over again. As the circumstances change, the underpinning doesn't. I have found a way that I might be faithful in all circumstances. And not only that, there are moments where I can say, I don't know, but I do know the promises that Jesus has made to me, and I can fall back on them. So I have a passage before me where I have a big hunk that I'm meant to preach on in the middle of it, and I go, I don't know, but I do know that Jesus has promised eternal life. So I'm going to fall back on that. And I think that's the beauty of the exercise that our writer in Hebrews is giving us. is to say, don't make your measure of maturity head knowledge in Scripture. But make your measure of maturity an individual's ability to apply that regularly to life as they walk through it. Which is one of the reasons why we find ourselves, our language in here for this is living the love of Jesus. How is it that you are living the love of Jesus? In that conflict, how is it that you were living the love of Jesus? How is it that you were making following Jesus the center of everything that you do? Because the question isn't, what do you know, although that's important. By the way, I'm not saying Bible study isn't important. But not what you know, but how are you taking what you know and applying it? Applying it, applying it again. And so some of us have challenges with grace. (laughs) So go back to what you know. Perhaps you can plumb deeper. And in doing that, though, the outworking of that is that measure of grace to life. It's one of the challenges as a follower of Christ is that you do encounter individuals who know a lot about God, right? 
but their face looks like their heart sucks lemons. You're not doing it right. I've seen it. I've read the book. I know the manual. That's not how we do this. If we're called to live the love of Jesus, where is the present love in all of that? You've built up head knowledge, but it hasn't impacted your heart in a way to transform the way that you're living. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and a mean spirit. <laughs> this doesn't end like that. The tenth fruit. Be surly about how much you know. <laughs> you know, Romans, we do not overcome evil, but we overcome uh we we overcome evil with good. Romans eleven, I think. Our measure of maturity is the relentless application of the love of Jesus in every scenario. I um I love my children. Um and you're not meant to love one more than the other. But and that's true, I don't. I love them different. Um one of them has my personality, but not the refined penfolds, like not like late nineties penfolds wine of a personality that I have. You know, like a deep, a deep bold flavored penfolds. Do you know one that you cherish and relish? With the finest of friends. Not that personality, but, but a more fruity, still developing personality. Um, an Aldi $2 Shiraz. Hasn't quite reached its final place. And you won't believe it, but it causes conflict with the penfolds. Regularly, because there's so much of me in her... He's up. <laughs> You're like a French chateau wine from the 1600s. No need to show off. Um, what is God teaching me is not to become the immovable object to the unstoppable force, which only leads to titanic explosions <laughs> and fights but where are the measures of grace and compassion and gentleness that can come alongside of this because i remember those wars growing up do you know it's not hard being a perfect kid um there are challenges and there are difficulties 
And I think part of that expression that I'm seeing in um, parenting day in and day out is it changes and, and it shifts and it grows. And, and part of that is that independence that starts to swell up. You know, like I say this to the back row who are like all parenting teenagers and beyond. <laughs> like, <laughs> you haven't seen anything yet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you are in for it. Um, our measure for maturity is forcing me to fling those out quicker. Yeah? And I guess with adult kids, it, it's the same, right? Like, I, I don't know, I'm looking to you guys, but like the, the same kind of measures of grace are measures for our maturity. And our ability to find patience when it feels like there's a war of life raging on around us, we bring peace into it. <laughs> How hard is that? Oh, man, I've got a grace screaming voice. Like a really, really good screaming voice. And God is saying, shh, where am I in this? Is this the way Jesus would respond in this moment? You know, and I love that passage where he flips tables over, makes a whip, you know, just tees off in his father's house on all the, uh, on all the tables there. He does that one time. One time. I feel like, I, so I get to do that one time today, right? Like, it's just a daily thing. <laughs> God's grace is renewed daily. Uh, it's a lesson in patience, in faithfulness. I, I, I wonder in the boat, you know, uh, I, I heard a captain speak on this once, is apparently the calmest place in the boat is in the bow at the bottom of it to rest so when the when the waves and the winds are wild you go to the lowest part of boat at the front of it and it's the calmest there um i also thought that it was a reflection on ministries he got to the end of a day of ministry he was so exhausted he just passed out in the front of the boat it didn't matter what was going on and that he was unconscious but i wonder in that moment if there was a measure of I've been working with you guys for a while now and you must figure out that I'm the son of God. Remember the party when I made the pen folds? It was a good time. Yeah, you were there for that. You remember that time where I fed some folks? It was a good time. And now you're wondering what's going to happen to the boat. You're madly bailing the water out when maybe what you should do is pray to my father who listens. And Jesus is like, you woke me up from this? This is my Sunday afternoon 2 p.m. nap. Shh. I'm going back to bed. And like, oh my goodness. You just wonder if that's a moment where suddenly they... Like if there was a galvan, this is not in scripture, so you, you delete this from your memory. But I just wonder if there was like, 
are galvanizing moments for like John or somebody who is just like like Andrew and they were like, man, we got to be in on this guy. Did you did you just see what he did? Why would we ever doubt? This guy woke up, said shh to the wind and the waves like it was nothing. Imagine the confidence that that would build. If you were on that boat that day, the stories that you would tell when you're playing Monopoly later that day with your friends. Oh, I got a story for you. And you teared up. We were out on the seas. And that day, my friend, the seas were angry. And a tempest rose up. Waves larger than a building. Bigger than Zion's temple crashing over left and right. And I turned to John and I said, what shall we do? And he said, grab the buckets. And we started hurling them out. And I said, nay, get Jesus. And Jesus emerged in a white robe untouched by the water and the waves as they crashed over the boats. Is Paul Moore for sale? I'll buy it. And as the waves were crashing over the boat, he says, holding up his staff to the sky, cease waves! And my friends, it was still. And that's when I knew Jesus was the one. You owe me $200. a story isn't it because in that moment there is faithfulness and perseverance Jesus knows who's boss Jesus knows what's up and in a gentle demonstration of strength reminds the entire room there is beauty and strength in our ability, in the wind and the waves, to find the measure of Jesus that matches that with love. It becomes a demonstration of the place that Jesus occupies in our lives because he is the center of everything that I do. Because I choose to live the love of Jesus from here to the horizon. Jesus is the measure. And there is the growth of spiritual maturity. Faithfulness and long-standing suffering endurance becomes our measure for maturity with the theological underpinning that this passage speaks to. Shall we pray? Lord, you are good, you are gracious, and you are worthy of all praise. Lord, as we lift up our hearts in song, that you might remind us 
of your ever-present place at the center of what we do, that we might be surrendered before you in our worship. Amen.